going hungry. Man, oh man, stealing bread. Run around and recording. How, how many people have turned off at this point now? <laughs> no, I just, I just started thinking about how I, too, am, am hungry. I am very hungry. How, why, is it just Eddie Vedder caused every man's voice and every other man's voice in the 90s to be like, Aah. Brad is waiting to jump in <laughs> to talk about Eddie Vedder. I'm not saying shit. <laughs> I don't mind. But, I mean, that song is the most, like, caricature version of himself. It I'm really is. Hungry. <laughs> Uh, comes before Pearl Jam came up and, like, put the record out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, damn. Anyway, we had to take it down a few levels to back in the day to some, you know, hunger strike. <laughs> but this is not a hungry podcast or I mean, a food it is podcast. Inherently it's just a podcast a by podcast. two hungry people uh, about movies. And it's the Side Talks podcast. I am Rachel Morgan, not Eddie Vedder, even though I know you were fooled by my voice earlier that we had Eddie Vedder in the studio. We do not. Not today, at least. Not today, at least. And um, who are you? I'm Corey Kraft. I am very hungry, and I don't have time to You're eat You're going hungry. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about movies before I start eating this microphone. So now it's time for a segment of the podcast called Phone a Friend, where we do just that. Phone a Friend. Hey, Bross. It's Rachel and Corey calling you to hear what Hi. you've been watching. Hello. Hi. What have you been watching, dude? Um, okay. Well, rarely do I do a sequel so quickly, but I have to <laughs> in this case. Um, our boy Paddington. Hell, yes. Paddington 2. Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay. Everything that everybody said, including Corey, I mean, it's so good. I mean, it's really good. Like, the first one... I enjoyed, it was better than I thought it would be. It still had a kid movie angle to it and was like, you know, silly, um, but charming and adorable and all of the things. But there's something about this one, I guess you could still argue that it has a kid movie angle and it's charming and adorable and all the things, but it's just so good and I don't know, compelling. And I guess part of it is, is Hugh Grant. He's so good. Oh, and man. He's amazing. I know. Oh, wow. He's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, you really are. I was like, oh, I mean, how good can he be? Uh, for real, very, very good. And just so so fun of a character because he's like a thespian and he's an actor and he has all these personalities. And so he himself is actually many characters in a way because he's always sort of like, you know, playing around and um and talking to his mannequins. And it's just really, it's got so many <laughs> things going on. And, um, <laughs> and you know, multiple, double your hues because we got Hugh Bonneville already, Daddy Down, you know, and then now Hugh Grant. So, I mean, it's very, very British when you have more than one hue in one place. That's very but, that's um, true. That's true. <laughs> and, um, okay, so some notes. Okay, so you remember how in the first one there was a CGI chihuahua on an escalator? Oh. That I was, <laughs> I was really annoyed how they treated the chihuahua, but also it was not even a real chihuahua. Okay, so this movie opened... And Paddington has befriended this giant wolfhound dog. And I was so pleasantly surprised to see that it was a real dog. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a real dog. That's great. But then there's this little running around chasing scene that the dog is involved in. He's, like, aiding Paddington. And um, he is all CGI at that point. It's fine. I get it. I get it. I think the CGI wolfhound is better than the CGI chihuahua in the first one. But... I don't know. I mean, I guess it's hard to train a dog to pretend like a tiny bear is riding its back and, like, run around in London. <laughs> but I don't know. That's, like, 
But also, no, I sound like I'm dissing on the quality of the, the 3D animation. It's really good. It's really, really good. I just was so excited when I saw that the wolfhound was real life, you know? Right. And um, also, and- we want real chihuahuas. Can we get real chihuahuas, people, please? Yeah, like, could not have been a real chihuahua, like, part of the time, and then just when it flew through the air, it was, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't want but- to throw a real chihuahua around in the London underground. <laughs> No. Um, but I did read a factoid here uh, about the animation. It says the amount of man hours that went into creating the visual effects for Paddington 2 would have equaled around 75 years of one person's life, according to animation director Pablo Grillo. Like, hmm. that's crazy. That's an entire human life, like, just animating that one movie. Isn't that Time wild? well spent because Paddington Time 2 well spent. I, I agree. rules. It's, it's like, I don't know if it was because I'd already been you know, friends with Paddington now after the first movie, or if it was, be- it seemed better. Like his face seemed more emotive. And like, I thought he was even cuter and more cuddly than the first one. So, I mean, that could have just been the three years advanced technology. I think so. Going. And a little but, bit more money it behind just, it. Yes. But a two, I had been endeared to him by then. So that could be part of it as well, you know? Um, but, okay, so if you think so, you know, Corey mentioned this the other day, that the second one takes place, there's some significant scenes that take place in a prison, mm-hmm. and it is so cute. First of all, the British justice system is really hard to understand, um, but yeah. beyond that, once, <laughs> once they're in prison, it's really, really fun, and so so cute, and there's like kind of a prison glow-up scene, and lots of dancing, and it's very charming, and... um Oh, and then, okay, so the security guard, uh, Barry, who was in the first one, who kind of took a liking to Hugh Bonneville, dressed as a lady in disguise, mm-hmm. had re- reprises his really funny role, um, and he's now a different security guard at a different location. And um, there's another uh, disguise that he fancies, and um, he, he uses the line, which I really like. He says, an unusually attractive nun is causing mayhem. <laughs> so <laughs> that was really good. And I read to you, he is one of the writers. He's one of the co-writers. Oh, the guy that that's plays the, the security guard. So he's 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 in there. Um, but okay, so this thing, I mean, it really crescendos. Like you're just like, oh, this is a great, charming, adorable bear, and all things are happening, shenanigans, and oh, ha ha ha. And then it's like all of a sudden, there's so much action and so much emotion that you're like, what's going to happen? I mean, they're not going to kill this adorable bear, but boy, are they going to make us think that it could possibly happen? I mean, it is super intense and you're like crying you're like oh my gosh Paddington I mean right Corey right I mean absolutely the the climax of the movie being like non-stop train antics and then you know he ends up underwater in a situation that gets pretty harrowing and uh you know it looks Ooh. looks like things are gonna go badly for our friend uh Paddington Bear but uh <laughs> you know things he pulls it out <laughs> he, he pulls it out well, but, I mean, you know, people love this damn movie. It's and great. I, it's also, I, I don't know if you know this or can remember from our conversation about this, I think on a podcast 100 episodes ago or so, but it's mentioned in the Nick Cage film where Nick Cage plays himself. Yeah. Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah. There's a big thread with Paddington 2 in that. Really? They, yes. Uh, he and his new buddy, Pedro Pascal, sit down and watch it in, in a scene. I think I've seen a clip of this. Yes. Okay. I have seen like kind of like a little diced up clip of that. And he's like, no, I'm serious. And then they actually watch it and they're like crying and it's, and they're yeah. so moved by it. Okay. Yeah. They love it. They love it. Um, well, it's true. It's true. All the things everyone's saying, it's true. I can't even deny it. It's so much better than them. I mean, it's like the first one was great, but I feel like you really, 
it just levels it on us. And I don't know what to expect from the third one. Like, surely we can't level up again. But, I mean, hopefully they'll at least plateau and, and maintain that level of um, – of, of wonder and whimsy. Do we know who the villain is in number three? I don't know that we do. No. In, that- in fact, the, there was, there was a disappointing update today where, where Ben okay. Wishaw, who does the voice of Paddington said he hadn't seen a, a finished script and he didn't know when they were going to start filming. So I don't no. know that they've fully conceptualized the sequel. Also speaking to your sort of plateau question, the third one's being direct, directed by a different guy, um, which is always kind of just like, oh, are we sure we want to change horses midstream like this? Maybe they'll get real chihuahuas, though. Well, maybe. Oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, well, I will be staying tuned no matter how long it takes for me to see it. Um, because, yes, I just, it's, it's so good. Everything everybody says, it's amazing. And it makes you warm and fuzzy. And you're just like, wow, that little bear is so... So wonderful. Ugh, I, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I love it. I'm all in on Paddington. Well, and, Oh, and I did. Oh, what were you saying? I was just going to say, you've come to a standstill now. You're going to have to move on to something other than Paddington. Well, there are other that's movies there? with talking bears. That's we can true. find something. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll just exclusively find talking bear movies uh, for as long as I can. Um, I did want to read one little fact that I thought was interesting. So um, speaking of Ben... Um, uh, Wishaw. How do you say that? Wishaw? I think that's Wishaw? right. That sounds right. British. Um, and then and Hugh Grant, um, apparently, I read this little factory, that they did appear together in a three-part television miniseries called A Very English Scandal, where they played lovers, politician Jim Thorpe and Norman Scott, respectively. Yes! So they Whoa. played, based on the story, really, real, you know, like British parliament dudes from the seventies or something. And, uh, and then now they're also a, a bear and a, and a man in a different movie. Wow. That's I a know. different, that's a different kind of love. That's a different kind of bear. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Very true. Um, Ben Wishaw basically plays Paddington in the, in women talking. Like he's just a gentle, <laughs> soft spoken man. So, um, that, you know, if, if you, if you need to scratch that Paddington itch, women talking. Wow. Or grizzly man. <laughs> or grizzly man. Yikes. Yikes. Good point. Good point. Oh, Those man. bears don't like marmalade though. Well, Lisa, we will, um, that's true. We will let you, uh, go try to find another film that even gets close to matching Paddington too. And I think My that's going to be a very difficult search for you. But, it uh, is. It really is. It, I mean, I'm going to try to try to overcome it. But yeah, I'm going to stay tuned to the news about the release date. It can't be too many years away. Oh, I need my Paddington fix. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you can go watch that really adorable little um, commercial they did with the Queen during the Queen's Jubilee. That's right. Where she's sitting across from Paddington. They're having tea. Uh, that would at least give you a moment of enjoyment with some Paddington. Good point. I have not seen that. I did see like a screenshot of that. It's so, so cute. I- yeah. Okay. Cute. Cute. And apparently, I because I did read because of that um, when she died that there was just gobs and gobs of marmalade sandwiches being left everywhere, like outside gates. Yeah. You know, the palace and everything. And then they were kind of like, "You guys need to stop leaving the marmalade sandwiches. Like this is too messy." <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> that can lead to all kinds of trouble. Right. Oh, so sad. R.I.P. Queen. R.I.P. Queen. <laughs> all right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Go get a marmalade sandwich. Okie dokie. Bye, dude. Bye. Bye. 
Reflections. That was really painful. That no, one sounded, sounded really sounded great. stepping on a cat's tail. Sounded great. So listen, Corey, this is the part two of your Sundance review, That's if right. you will. So uh, give us a couple more films that you saw at Ye Old Sundance this year, Sundance Virtual, that is, and what you thought about them. Sure. Well, okay. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is a the film that won the U.S. Narrative Jury Prize. Uh, a film from a debuting filmmaker named A.V. Rockwell. This is her feature debut. Um, and it's called A Thousand and One. Um, this, you won't have to wait too terribly long to see. It has already been acquired for distribution by Focus Features. They're planning a late March release. So I'm sure it'll trickle uh, to local cinemas or video on demand services yeah, at some point clearly. Uh, before summertime. Um, a thousand and one is a decades spanning story uh, set in Harlem about a a young woman who has just gotten out of prison at Rikers Island. She tracks down her young son who is in foster care and she essentially kidnaps him um takes him to live uh in harlem they kind of live um keep a low profile for years and years as her son grows up um and um Amidst uh, this rapidly changing and gentrifying uh, 90s into the 2000s uh, New York landscape, secrets are revealed. Um, so this is, I think, a really sensitive and beautifully made film. It's a little mysterious. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't seem like the movie that's going to pack any sort of punches with with plot twists or anything and it's not like a twisty movie it is a character study but it does have sort of these walloping family secrets that eventually come out that are that yeah. are sort of teased and developed throughout the the film um the lead actress and i want to make sure i get her name right her name is Tayona taylor i believe who's best known as a as a musician a musical music artist i'm not familiar with her career but i thought she gave a wonderfully um convincing lead performance tayana taylor sorry um a a singer um who oh wow just looking at her um wikipedia page one of the first mentions is appearing on mtv's my super sweet 16 so Ooh. i don't know what that context was um, that's wild that's but, that's a that's a show i haven't heard of in in years yeah that's just haven't even thought about in years. going way back right and she's appeared in supporting roles and small roles in films before but this is her first lead she's she's really wonderful in it as is the rest of the movie and the name of the film again is a thousand and one okay um you know, I, I love – one of the things I love most about, well, all film festivals and one of the reasons I love doing our job is getting to see um, these these new emerging voices, sure. right, who are telling stories that haven't really been told before. And this certainly um, is, is one wonderful example of that. Um, and the other wonderful example of that is is another sort of uh, debut feature 
from uh, a filmmaker named Raven Jackson. This comes to us from our friends at A24 and uh, producer Barry Jenkins. And yeah. the movie's called All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt. Um, this, like 1001, is sort of a decade-spanning story about a black woman. Uh, but this woman, instead of living in the busy, uh, busy Harlem, is in rural Mississippi. Um, the thing about um, All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt is that this is a very unconventional, uh, almost non-narrative piece um, that focuses on details and textures like hands touching fabric and, and things like that that are not, let's say, often the focus of, of feature filmmaking, right. which is, is usually – telling a story. Um, and, and this is, again, the sort of uh, life of this woman as she comes of age, as she deals with um, romantic love and loss, as she deals with anxieties about parenthood. Um, and it's a really beautifully made sort of impressionistic film. Obviously not going to be to all tastes, given how slow and deliberate and unconventional the filmmaking right. on style is but but for me this is i think a, a beautiful subtle new vision um that i saw a lot of my own uh rural mississippi upbringing in and i i you know recognized a lot of myself uh in this movie even though obviously i'm not a black woman Right. I mean, but that's yeah. one of the great things about I am. I am, I am white as hell. Um, but that's one of the great things about filmmaking. Right. And the great things about stories like this is is by sharing such a specific story. Audiences can find find the universal nature of, of all of our stories. Right. Um, and it sounds very experiential, too. It is. It is. I, I it has a beautiful sound mix that. My home system did not do justice to, sure. and I anticipate having the opportunity later this year, perhaps, to see this in a cinema yeah, where yeah. I'm sure it will only be more involving because you're just subsuming yourself in it. It makes such a difference. I went to – not that this is a Sundance film and we're not exactly doing a, what we're watching right now, but I will tell you that I went out to the Regal Cinema, which is bathed in neon, that, that cinema out yeah, in Trustville, yeah, yeah. Alabama, which is a – it actually was built in the early 2000s, but it is a model that was from the 80s. And That's so it's right. It's got the pink and black bathroom, and I, it's it's wonderful. I love I love that cinema. Um, but I went out there to see the Billie Eilish film, which we tried to get for the cinema right, for the Sidewalk. Concert, the concert doc. Yeah, the concert doc, which was a shot in London. And we tried to get it for the cinema, and they said no because it's very limited. And I can tell you right now that despite the fact that that was a very large screen that I saw it on, and it was a very eager crowd that I saw it with of youngsters that mm -hmm. were having a great time, the sound was not great. And I kept thinking, man, this would have sounded so good at the sidewalk cinema. Yeah. So anyway, just a note that um, it can really be a game changer when it comes to experience. Films. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, this is one that does demand your attention, even though again, it's, it's slow and, and that won't be to everybody's taste, but better to see it in a dark room with crystal clear projection and wonderful sound and most importantly, no distractions. Well, that sounds like a good couple from Sundance. You've seen a lot of stuff that you liked a lot. Yeah, I, it was it was a good year overall with the festival. I was surprised at the tepid response that a lot of these these movies received from critics. I mean, maybe not tepid. That's maybe not the right word, but 
less chatter, I think, about a lot of these titles in general. Maybe that's just because I've gotten off social media um, and didn't like. I don't know. Live I don't. That I, life. I, I'm. I'm not what I would call on social media, but I certainly see it. You know. Yeah. And I don't. I haven't heard a lot of sort of Sundance blow up this year. Well, it, has, think, it hasn't felt very um, impactful. I think that's a shame. Um, because a lot of these movies are really good. They are operating kind of on a lower key, perhaps. Um, you know, obviously it's no in, Top Gun Maverick. It's no Top Corey. Gun Maverick. Um, but it's, it's a shame because a lot of these films are really, really skillful. And obviously we'll be talking about some of these movies for the rest of the year. Yeah, there you I go. have no doubt. Um, so just, I, I guess I, I got an early look at some stuff that I'm really eager to get other people's eyes on and to see how the, the sort of greater audience at large talks about these titles. Cause to me, I don't know. I, I had a really great time watching a lot of these things and they showed me new things and they showed me different um, versions of things that I had already seen. And, and that's, again, that's what I'm going for. TBD dude. Yeah. We're own personal cinematic. And I should have said, thanks for listening first. Shouldn't I? Thanks for listening. Well, the side talks podcast where I'm doing it all again here. We're your own person. There's no reason to redo anything though, Brad. We're just going to keep rolling. With I mean, it. Just keep rolling. People love when I make mistakes. They love it. They love it. That's what they're here for. We're your own personal cinematic crawl McGraw and jiu-jitsu. Uh, just different types of martial arts. Right? Yeah. I mean, I would assume that if you do Krav Maga, you're like, mine is the best. And if you do Jiu-Jitsu, you're probably like, mine is the best. But I don't know. Maybe martial arts people are more peaceful than I'm giving them credit for here. You know, you, you never want to use martial arts in anger. It's it's a defensive tool. Okay. That's exactly right. That's right. So That's why I do, I'm do. i going to be focusing on some other skills so that I can karate chop your neck. Or not karate, non-karate Good chop your Lord. neck the next time we have a fight about something as shitty as the terminal. Wow, that wasn't even in this episode. Hey, you know I'm what? trained in Krav Maga. That just sounds awesome to me when you're like, I do Krav Maga. Is that, do you do it or do you say I'm trained in it? What's the correct lingo here? Am I offending anyone? Why are who are you looking at to get Sam, an answer on Sam this? <laughs> yeah, Sam, hey Sam, speak, Sam, speak you about your McGraw? martial arts experience. I'm an expert in Krav Maga. <laughs> Great. Um, uh, that explains come here why. And prove it on Corey's face. What? Also, anyway, you kind of. Yeah, that was kind of. Um, that was kind of you. But whatever. Anyway, I think I forgot to say what's up, Ding Dongs, in the <laughs> intro. So I want to work Damn that in it. there too. Um, I wish I knew Krav Maga. Yeah, well, don't we all? Um, thanks to Boutwell Studios. We thanks appreciate you. We love you. Um, Sidewalkfest.com at SidewalkFilm. Right. Those are the socials. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on uh, all of those things. We're on Elon Musk's Twitter, apparently. I don't know. I'm not on there anymore. I saw a tag on the Tesla that said thanks. It was like a th- at TNX or whatever. Thanks, uh-huh. Elon. <laughs> Oh, that's all we got for you today. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.